I have only one question. Why are you trying to kill yourself? <laughs> I've seen enough climate change documentaries. It's my way of, of helping save the planet. I was eating anything I could get my hands. I was eating ice cream. I had eight pack abs. Just I could not. I, I was so scared of what is under the water. And you had not seen Seaspiracy by then? I had not. I went to a US business school. Everyone has a therapist there. No one gets there alone. We have a lot of help along the way. When people ask me where is home, I, I say India. Welcome back to The Ordinary Indian. I'm your host, Ish. Our ordinary guest today studied agriculture at IIT Kharagpur, worked at a fintech in Singapore, did an MBA in the US, and has worked as an investment banker in New York and London. We are going to focus on his Ironman journey. Ironman is a triathlon consisting of a 2.4-mile swim, a 112-mile bicycle ride, followed by a marathon. The first third of this episode goes in understanding our guest and the logistics of Ironman. After that, the conversation quickly becomes philosophical, leaving several useful nuggets in that latter half. I hope you enjoy this episode. Alright, we are live. Iron Man Khan, I'm really happy to have you here. We are recording this at 10.30pm on a Sunday. <laughs> we were supposed to do this at 7am in the morning, but I completely overslept. So, <laughs> sorry about that, that was highly unprofessional. How has your weekend been? First of all, thanks for having me. This 7am thing I think happens to the best of us, so I don't think that's a loss. My weekend has been good. I met someone from my college. I went to IIT Kharagpur. We have been wanting to meet for a while. Went to play football, just the usual stuff. So it has been it has been a pretty good week. That's a good segue. So football. When I was introduced to you by a good friend, we would make a lot of plans and a lot of times you have to go for football or you have to go for a run. Recently, then I heard that you went to Iceland. You went on a lot of hikes there. The interesting thing was when you would go for a hike that you really liked, you would wake up early in the morning <laughs> next day to do that hike again. And all that is fine. But the context that maybe the audience does not have is that you are also an investment banker. So I have only one question. Why are you trying to kill yourself? <laughs> no, that's a fair question. The reason I woke up and, and tried to do the hikes in the morning was, number one, I'm a morning person. I think I'm the most awake 5, 6 a.m. in the morning. I usually go to bed by 11, 11.30, find it very, very difficult to stay awake beyond that. So this is difficult for you. We are at 11 p.m. <clears throat> right now, I think. This is not difficult because in banking, to your point, like we have to stay awake longer than this usually. But yes, this is a point where if left to me, I would probably not, not do this. this <laughs> but I think the point of doing it super early in the morning is it feels like the whole thing is to yourself. You mm -hmm. are feeling energized. You go to the uh, hiking spot that you absolutely love. The views are amazing. There's no one around you. It just feels so peaceful and calm. Uh, it's hard to describe the feeling, but I just absolutely love it. So have you always been a morning person? Yes, for the most part. Even when I was in school, usually my grandparents were the ones who used to teach me. My grandfather used to wake up early mm -hmm. and he used to wake up at 5 a.m. every day. He was very, very active. They also realized that when I, when I come back from school, I don't want to sit and do homework. The compromise we reached at the end was that I'll do whatever I want to do in the evening. My grandfather and I both used to wake up at like 5 a.m. in the morning wow. and, and do some work. That's where it kind of started. Yeah, I am a big night owl uh, <laughs> and we, we experienced that today. And then I realized that you've done the Ironman. When did you do it and why did you decide to do it? I did it in May 2018. Decided to do it in my second year of MBA. 
I went to business school in US and at the end of year one, I had a job offer in my hand, which I felt comfortable with. Second year, when I was trying to decide what is it that I want to do, then I was going through different options. My first year, I had gone through some personal loss and, and some difficult time. Kind of wanted to feel better. The way I feel better is when I am working towards a goal. One of my classmates was preparing for Ironman. That was the first time I heard about it. Previously, the only thing I had done similar to this was a marathon in Singapore. The scale of things that I was thinking here was, was totally different. When I spoke to my classmate, she suggested, even though I have almost six months ahead of me to prepare myself for the race, it's still going to be very challenging to, to get there. But the goal was effectively to challenge myself, which I always love to do, pick up new skills, try different things. That was the reason I, I decided to start the process. So second year of MBA is when people usually want to party, network and travel around with their classmates. You, on the other hand, decided to do the Ironman. Were there any other options you evaluated? Uh, networking was obviously important to me, but again, it was not over beer that I networked. Let's put it that way. I am a lightweight. Even one beer does it for me sometimes. I attended as many parties as I could, but I would leave after 45 minutes. And to your second question as to whether I evaluated other things, yes, absolutely. As I said, like I love picking up new skills. In Singapore, my roommate used to brew beer. That was something that I absolutely loved, that you can actually brew amazing beer at home. In my business school, in my second year, that was one thing that was doable. Obviously, in business school, everyone wants to drink. I was not brewing beer to drink. It was more of a... It was more <laughs> yeah, of we a, know why not. <laughs> it, was more of a, it was more of a hobby. But, but there were a lot of people who were interested but then there were other things that I could potentially do. And I think Iron Man was one of those things. But the reason I decided to do it was because it was something that I had never done before. was very, very intrigued whether I can push myself to that extent. Couldn't give up on the idea. As in like, as soon as I heard it's such a difficult thing to do. My classmate, she said, you feel amazing after doing it. All those things. I think I, think I just fell in love with the idea and decided to do it. Given that there was personal loss and other things you said you were dealing with, do you think you felt the need to be alone? That's a very good point. And I think, yes, maybe there was a part of it. Inherently, like everyone who comes from India, just to give you an example, I went to a US business school. Everyone has a therapist there. We don't usually grow up with therapists and we like to deal with problems either with our friends or ourselves. Maybe there was a part of it. I think it's a good point. You put it that way. That might have been a reason as well. I wanted to have or carve out a space for myself where I can be alone with my thoughts, just push myself in silo, so to say. Because I think business school, it's, it's so difficult to be alone. So tell me, what did the training regimen look like? So for training, in the beginning, I wasn't sure how to do it, to be perfectly honest with you. So what I started to do was two hours of walks every day for two to three weeks. Nothing else. Because I honestly wanted to see if I can wake up next day feel motivated? Do I still want to do it? Uh, ask yourself the same question again, because I think it's a, it's a big commitment. I think all those things about opportunity cost, because when you when you push yourself, leaving something in midway makes me personally feel terrible. Like if you if are committed to something, then you want to see to the end. So obviously the first point in my training regimen was trying to ask that question yourself, do you really want to do this? Then I bought a bike and then things started to get a little serious. So what I started to do was at the beginning, there was a loop that used to go around my college campus. It was approximately 25 miles. So I would wake up 5, 5.30 a.m. every day. I would do a 25 mile bike run, then go to the classes and then come back from classes 
and effectively sleep pretty much until the evening. So that is how I started the training regimen. Going forward, I started to make more time for training. In the second term of my second year, I had classes only on Mondays and Tuesdays. Is there a particular kind of bike that you have to buy? Yeah, so uh, very good question. Yes, you have to buy a proper road bike. I, when I started to buy a bike, uh, when I went through the process of trying to understand it, I had absolutely no idea. So what I did was I read up a lot, went to a bike shop. Every bike kind of has a different torso to feet ratio. So obviously you can you can adjust the seat length, but you will see that when you sit on the right bike, it just feels right. So I went to a bike shop, tried different bikes, different road bikes. I told them that what I'm trying to do is an Ironman. So they showed me some bikes. Cheapest options are, say, £1,000, and the most expensive ones are over £10,000. So I went for the one which was uh, roughly £2,500. The second option is, what is the angle that you want to sit on the bike at? As in, do you want to go for comfort versus speed? Some people go flat just to keep themselves aerodynamic. My goal was to finish the race, so I went for comfort. Yeah, so my angle is 30 degrees. Was the bike the part of all of the gear involved that required the most thought? Was there any other gear that you have to get together? Given that there's swimming, cycling, and then marathon. Marathon, yeah. I think biking is the biggest part of the gear. Some people who are going for a specific timing, they get something called a tri-suit. The way the race works is, initially you go in, the swimming is the first part. Then you come out, there's something known as transition period, Mm -hmm. which is anywhere between zero for people who choose a tri-suit, as in they don't have to change, to 30 minutes. For people like me, I came back, sat down, changed, changed my shoes, put on socks, and then went on on the bike. Mm -hmm. Then between bike and marathon, there's another transition period. Again, people who are on tri-suit, they're usually trying to hit a certain time. But for me, uh, the goal was to finish the race. So the biggest decisions are, are you going for a time? Then you probably have to think about getting a tri-suit. Then the biggest, uh, second biggest decision is probably the bike that you want to get. To get comfortable on the bike, you want to drive it enough so that it feels that this is your bike. So when did you finally get to a training schedule that can't be considered semi-professional and what took it to get there? Yeah, January. So say, that's four months before that. Four months. Right. I have, it took me a little bit to get there. Because I was not in the physical shape that would let me train the way I wanted to. It took me three months almost just to be able to train in a way that I felt this is an Ironman training schedule which will help me finish the race. In the beginning, like I said, I literally was just walking for two hours a day, which is absolutely nothing. Then I started to do the bike run every single morning, but it was only 25 miles. Slowly but steadily, I started to incorporate two of those three things and then finally I was able to do bike run in the morning go to classes Uh, in the afternoon I went for a run maybe five miles maybe ten miles because I would be exhausted after those two things took a nap in the afternoon woke up went for a swim in the evening for 30 minutes 35 minutes that was like just me building up enough stamina just to be able to do those three things for an extended period of time in any given day. So out of the 2.4 mile swim, the 112 mile cycling and the 26 or so mile running, which did you find the most difficult? Swimming is the one which you are most concerned about because there are 3000 plus people who jump into open water 
at the beginning. So it used to be called a washing machine back in the day. Iron Man has become more safe over time. They do a rolling start, wherein they only let the fastest swimmers go in first. But it's still dangerous because when you are swimming in open waters, people end up splashing around. Some do panic. So it's it's the most challenging part. But for me, because I I learned swimming in college at Kharagpur, and I was good at it. Once you get beyond that initial concern, like how is it going to be when three thousand people are swimming together, then it becomes a lot easier. For me, the most difficult part was the marathon. We had seven hours because we were doing it in California. It's super hot there, and finishing the marathon in five and a half to six hours. But it was difficult because by the time I finished the race, there was practically no one left there. Eventually, it felt like I was doing the marathon on my own. Uh, Why does it matter that you were not around people? Was it a pacing thing? No, no. I think it matters a lot when you see so many people energetically doing something near you. You just feed off of other people's energy. Not having anyone around you at that time creates a situation where you're not getting that energy from other people. So you said that it took you a few months to get in the right shape. What kind of a shape were you in when you decided? And on the day of Ironman, what shape were you in? When I started in October, for example, I was ninety kgs. I did not feel like I was in the best shape of my life. Three months in, when I I now have a training schedule which makes sense for the next four months, I was eighty four kgs. The day of the race, I was seventy eight kgs. Okay. However, because you burn so many calories on the day, yeah, you are expected to build up calories the week prior. Mm-hmm. So effectively, all I was doing the week before the race was, other than checking out the route, I was eating a lot of things, eating a lot of Indian food. I was eating anything I could get my hands on. Basically, it was probably the best. I was eating ice cream, anything and everything. It was just a carb build-up exercise yeah. in the week prior. But so how many calories were you consuming those days per day? I was easily consuming four to 5,000 calories. Okay. But and that was normal training routine from, from January say, up until April. The week before, I was probably consuming more than that. You started at 90 kilos. Approximately. And you were at around 78 by the end of it. Yeah. 12 kilos lost. You build up a lot of muscle also. Yes. At the end of the race, I had eight pack abs. <laughs> because there's nothing left for the body to burn. You see yourself in the mirror, it's difficult to recognize, like, is this really me? Yeah. But I had eight pack abs at the, at the end of the race. It was a, it was unbelievable transformation. And what was the diet like during the training? So in the beginning, I tried to be vegetarian. So I tried to stick to that. Why are you vegetarian? It's just, uh, I've seen enough climate change documentaries my perception has been that to the extent if people reduce consumption of meat it's my way of of helping save the planet definitely yeah i think beef and lamb are the two that have the most negative impact on the environment but yes if you can go completely vegetarian it helps a lot more but you said you tried the reason was because the way i was used to think about it was i was getting enough sleep at that time seven to eight hours of sleep every night and i used to try to have rest days in between as well so eventually like when it came to march i was feeling pretty good about myself but if my muscles were feeling sore I felt like they shouldn't be. I felt like my muscles were not building enough. Like they were breaking quicker than they were building. Yeah. And yeah. then I went for fish heavy diet. They didn't want to be in a position where all this effort goes to waste. Yeah. But yes, in Feb and March, I think I ended up eating fish more than I personally would have liked. So if you would be feeling sore still by a particular point, 
that was a signal to you that you're not having enough protein. Protein, exactly. And you decided to supplement your diet with fish. Yeah. And you had not seen sea spiracy by then. I had not. Sea spiracy is sea spiracy is a very very recent recent thing. Yeah. I think next time I will try to push myself that I have zero non-veg diet while doing it. It can be challenging. I think I need to read up a little more. Yeah. The location was California. Where exactly? And how did you pick it? Napa Valley in California. I think they call it a county. Santa Rosa. And so that was the location. The reason for me choosing it was I did my summer internship in California because my summer internship was busy. I could not explore the state as much as I wanted to. Whatever I could explore, I absolutely loved it. The weather was amazing. The landscape was amazing. And I thought if there's a possibility for me to explore this more, then I would definitely love to do it. And when I was signing up for Iron Man, it just fit so perfectly. It was in the summer it was just the perfect time doesn't summer however make it difficult to do an iron man that's a very fair point yes you would but i think for me the problem was that there was no way for me to try to swim in open where i was training mm-hmm. winters can be very harsh mm-hmm. in winters you can obviously push yourself more mm-hmm. because your body is not like generating so much heat that you're not feeling dehydrated but then there are a lot of other things you cannot do like trying to go to swim in open waters all the lakes near me were frozen so there was nothing you could do. And additionally, another another problem was that my training schedule, when I started training, there was no way for me to be able to hit the December timeline. Did you do almost equivalent of Ironman before your Ironman? Again, very good question. I did not. My classmate who got me into this suggested strongly that that's what she does. That was a second Ironman that she was doing at that time. And she said that she would be doing a full Ironman, say, mm-hmm. a month before. I did not do it. I think there was this concern that if I somehow don't end up finishing it, then will that be a mental block yeah, on the sense. on the race day that I could not finish it back then? Mm-hmm. Can I do it now? So you got there two weeks before. Yes. And you studied the terrain. How did you strategize around the terrain? The first part is the swimming. I had limited experience of swimming in open water before. So the first part of the strategy was to get comfortable with the Sonoma Lake itself. Uh, the so second, you have to cross the lake, go around the lake. How does it work? Yeah, so you have to go. So they put red markers throughout the area. Mm-hmm. So you have to do two loops. And the way the race works is they put a tracker on you. That's how they know that you're not cheating and you're doing the full race. So they put a tracker on you and, and you have to do two loops each loop being 1.2 miles. The washing machine situation would still be there to some extent then. It would be, exactly. Because people who are the fastest swimmers, they're yeah. coming right behind you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it is, and in fact, um, if the horror stories that you hear from Iron Man are mainly from swimming. Mm-hmm. Because the worst that can happen once you're out of the swimming pool is you can crash somewhere and break some part of your body. Mm-hmm. But like in when you're in the water, people can panic. They end up drinking a lot of water. And, and there have been, unfortunately, some incidents where people have, have died. I think it has become safer. They have yeah. a lot more people watching you so that if anyone seems to be struggling, then they kind of go and try to help that person right away. Yeah, I think there's yeah. this Smart Swim initiative that they've started. That's why they started doing the rolling start instead of the mass start. There are floaters provided and you can just go and pause there if you're not feeling well exactly although there are some hardcore iron man people who are like this is diluting the sport and this is not what iron man is all about so there's this whole debate around that we are not going to get into that yeah no, but i personally think iron man is individual 
person's, let's say, effort. I mean, if you can make a sport safer, yeah. I think you should. Ironman being about the individual effort, that turn in Ironman's history happened when the Julie Moss incident happened. Yeah, yeah. Right? Before that, it was all about winning. And when Julie Moss was almost winning and just collapsed before the finish line, and even though she was surpassed by quite a few people, she went ahead and still Finished went it. up to the finish line. And that's what a lot of people were watching. And that's what then got a lot of people into it. Yeah. That you know what, just finishing it is an achievement, okay. not just winning yeah. it. Yeah. Point is that people should compete with themselves or make themselves better. Yeah. If you feel comfortable, feel free to compete with other people in good spirit. Yeah. But I think eventually, if you keep making yourself better, you will, by definition, end up being somewhere where you want to be. Even in life, I think if you're going on your self-development journey, yeah. if you are always going to be comparing yourself with other Not people healthy. and competing with others, and that's how you're going to value yourself and your development, that's unhealthy. You ideally want to get to a place where you are competing with who you were yesterday. Completely agree with that. Let's take a break here. Okay. I'm sure you're enjoying this episode with Iron Man Gan. There are several people out there who have interesting life stories we can learn from who are not comfortable putting themselves out there in the public light. This is the first episode where I interview such a guest and I'm glad to test out this concept. With that said, let's head back to the interview. So what strategy did you come up with, if any, when it comes to the terrain? And I think that mostly counts in the cycling and the running part. Yeah. For the bike, I rented a car, went around the track a couple of times. Napa Valley is very hilly. We had to do two loops. The net gain in slope or in elevation was not that much. Mm -hmm. But within those loops, you had to go up and down a ton of times. Yep. So my strategy was to go all in on the downhills. Take it easy on the uphill. The reason for me was twofold. One was... I felt that if you go all in at the downhill, the slope plus your effort makes you go faster. You spend less energy. And then as you're going into the uphill, your momentum takes you a little bit further. Do people usually follow that strategy? A couple of people that I met during the race, their strategy was to maintain a constant speed. I think it was more scientific. It was that if you maintain a constant speed, then number one, you feel more comfortable as to how much time it's going for you to take yeah. to finish this. I think there's this concept of pacing and you want to yeah. keep pacing yourself. So most of, let's say, the experts, even when they start, they maintain a pace and right to the end, they try to maintain that pace. And I think that goes for marathons and cycling, whereas amateurs just try to sprint as much as possible and then they are out of gas. Exactly. So, okay. And then because it is 112 miles, so some of them had split the track into three or four segments mm -hmm. and they were like, we will start the race at a certain pace, then maintain this, then come back down to this. It did not work for me. I was not, say, a professional Ironman athlete. And I think one would probably require more than four, five, six months of training, which mm -hmm. I had. So for me, it was what I can uh, do to maximize my opportunity here. For me, this also comes in how I approach other things in life. When there's a downtime, things that you do when things are easy mm -hmm. is what holds you in good stead when things are difficult. So when life is easy, that's the time to push your hardest and try and 
let's say, knock out as many things as possible so that you're ready for when life gets hard. Yes, try to learn new things. If there was something that you always wanted to do, try to incorporate that. Maximize the time that you have because everyone has 24 hours at the end of the day. How did you get over your fear of swimming in open waters? That's an interesting story because in my business school, I had gone for open water swimming only twice. I, I somehow always felt like if I can keep training in the civic pool, I will be able to replicate it. It was, I think part of it was because I was scared. Going so you kind of kept putting off something you knew you had to eventually face. Absolutely. Eventually I had to, because it was the first part of the race and it can set the pace for the entire day. Because if you come out of the swimming feeling bad about yourself or having doubts as to, oh, I could have done this better. So I think they, they, they absolutely, I was, I was putting that off and it was critical. Mm-hmm. But I had just this big fear uh, that who knows what is underwater. So how did you get comfortable? So I went to California three, two weeks earlier. I woke up early in the morning uh, when I feel most motivated, the best. Went to Sonoma Lake. There was literally no one inside. Stood there for literally 30 minutes. Maybe went in five meters, came back out. Just I could not. I, I was so scared of what is under the water maybe I will die there <laughs> because and there's no one to save me if if something bad happened. Came back, couldn't do it day one. Happened the same on day two. By day three, I think I was getting a little angry as well because I had put so much effort. I mean, I had given up other things. Although I can do it, I knew it, but just this fear of swimming in open water was just holding me back. So I just decided to finally take a plunge what might have helped that day was I could see two people fishing 100 meters from me. So it was it was difficult to see them. But I think just seeing that there were other people there gave me a lot of confidence. I went in, spent maybe five minutes, came back out. I felt good. I was like, okay, it is doable. Back in again, spent more time this time, came back out. Eventually went back and spent 30 minutes in the lake, came back out again. Then the next day, I think it was much more easier for me. Got a nice one mile lap and came back out. And I think by the time you're getting, by that time, I was getting closer to the actual race day. So more and more people were actually coming into Napa Valley. Did you ever look under the water? No. <laughs> First of all, it's difficult to see because the water is muddy and it's it's almost 100 plus meters deep mm-hmm. uh, at the deepest point. So yeah. <laughs> there's nothing to see. All right. I'm glad you were able to get away of here. Was there ever a time you almost gave up? In November, December time frame, what happens is when you when I started training, maybe it happens with other people as well. I think I hit a point where I felt I wasn't getting better. I have trained before for other things. Like I used to be in the swimming team back in at Kharagpur. I've, I've trained for things. So I know a little bit that obviously not every day is supposed to make you better. And usually development is in steps. It is still very difficult when you are in that phase, when you have been training for three weeks and you feel like those three weeks, you have not made any improvement. As in, you're not coming back from your 25-mile bike run feeling fantastic. You are feeling probably more exhausted than you felt the day before. At the end of the day, you feel like you won't be able to swim even 100 meters. And the day before, you could at least do 150. I mean, those kind of things. A lot of things go through your mind that maybe I'm not committed enough. Maybe I'm not doing this hard enough. 
personally, the way I, I get over these things is like, I think I don't think I, I like to quit on anything. So I, I just kept going. Felt that worst case scenario, I'll, it'll be April. But the one thing I did not want to do was look back. Felt that I did not give it 100%. I think those ifs and buts was what I wanted to avoid. It's difficult to do it, to be perfectly honest with you. But regret is not what you want at the end of any process. What you want is you give it your good best shot. Whatever the outcome may be. And at the end, if you give it your best, majority of the time you feel good about yourself. On the race day, was there any time when you could have not made it? Something happened that caused you to rethink, why are you doing this? So actually, not one, but two incidents. One was I wear contact lenses. These small things can derail everything. It just mm-hmm. seems unbelievable, actually. I Obviously, I was wearing the goggles when I was riding the bike. But in my right eye, my contact lens flipped on itself. My, I mean, my eyesight is not good enough to be able to see with just that i did not want to stop because i did not want to uh, i did not have a mirror either so it would be difficult to just take out the contact lens but i think it was excruciating for 40 45 minutes mm-hmm. it, luckily it happened very close to the marathon part of the race i knew that i just had to wait say an hour at most before i can get to my supplies change the contact lens but it was excruciatingly painful for me it so was, there was this contact lens in your eye, folded up. Folded up. And it was... Rattling my eyes. My eyes were literally flooding with water. It was red short when I finally saw my... was able to see myself in the mirror at the transition between marathon and bike. Yeah. It was very painful. At that point in time, you go through that process as to... Uh, I don't want to... My eye, obviously. <laughs> but what kept you going was that, okay... This is for a short duration. I can minutes. see an end to this. And once I get there, everything will be fine. Exactly. But I think these are the kind of things that then, then you become smarter the next time. As mm-hmm. in accessories that you wear mm-hmm. to the extent possible, have a spare. It just makes your life so much easier. These things happen more often than people realize. Those kind of things, I think, just can make or break. If it had happened pretty early on, let's say, in the biking leg, or I'm afraid that whether I would have kept going, I might have taken it out and then I might not have been able to see as well as I wanted to. What was the other thing? The The other thing was the, I had a big cramp in my leg. It was a hot day. My classmate who, who had done this before, she gave me the advice of having salt in my pocket because it was 34 degrees Celsius, not ideal for any kind of physical activity, Yeah. let alone Ironman. And the advice she gave me was it helps you retain water. So keep it in your pocket. Every time you feel thirsty, you remember it basically. Keep licking that salt mm-hmm. because it will help you retain water. And it was, again, these are the kind of advice you only hear from experts or people who have done this before. So that was very helpful to me. Maybe that's why I only had cramps once. But I did have cramps in my right calf muscle. And I could see it when I was riding my bike. The muscles were twitched all out of shape. I have never felt that much pain. The only feeling that I remember from those, let's say, one minute is a lot of anger because I don't know what was happening to my body. And I think I, I remember shouting at the top of my voice. Luckily, it resolved itself out. I drank water and maybe that might have helped. But then I think I was able to I was able to finish it. But none of, neither of these two incidents made me want to stop, to be mm-hmm. perfectly honest. But definitely being prepared is the key. Yeah. Speaking about spares, what if something happens to your bike? There are things that can happen which you cannot fix. For example, if there's a tire puncture, it's difficult to mended on the spot Mm -hmm. and you might be losing precious time but everyone who does Ironman 
has to know a little bit about bike maintenance. So everyone carries a kit with them. So some people might carry small pumps, even tire tubes. I was prepared for that part. I was able to watch YouTube videos, prepare myself a little bit as to, okay, what happens if I, my bike gets punctured? Mm-hmm. And that happens all the time. Mm-hmm. But you do lose precious time. If that happens, unless you have prepared yourself for it, you might, number one, panic. And number two, lose so much time. So can you not have a support crew with a car and can you not have a spare bike on it? It's a fair question. I don't know. I doubt that's allowed. Okay. Are support yeah. crews allowed? What I know is that in all these professional races, no one from outside can give you anything. Mm-hmm. Anything. Even if it's like a protein bar. Okay. During the race. All you have to do is bring it with you at the beginning. They obviously have a list of things you can bring. And obviously music is not allowed, which is difficult. Sometimes because when you listen to music, you get run longer, mm-hmm. bike longer. In all these professional races, you kind of have to be with your own thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, that can make a huge difference for some people. Would you say this is the most difficult thing you've done in your life? Physically, yes. This would be the most challenging process that I have taken so far. How do you see yourself differently after this? It's a good question. For me, this was a part of confidence building exercise. You set a target and then you go about achieving it. I think for me, as as a person, what I keep trying to work towards is having an independent thought process. And I know that might sound easy, but majority of the time, things go in circles. It's very rare that you actually meet someone with original thought process. Having the confidence to stick by your decision-making process, your thought process. So I think the way I see it differently is it's another thing that I have done and one of the most difficult things that I've done where I have set a process out for myself, trusted in that process, carried out that process until the end and then had a successful result. Do you know this cookie jar concept from David Goggins? The cookies in this cookie jar are great achievements or difficult situations that one has overcome. He uses it whenever he is doubting himself or when his mind is telling him to just relax and not work so hard. He goes into the cookie jar and pulls out a cookie to reset his mind and gain control. Do you see this as one of the cookies in the cookie jar that you are often able to go back to and tell yourself that if you did that, you can deal with whatever it is you are dealing with at the moment? I think that's exactly what it is in the sense that we all need successes at the right time. That's why probably building these successes where you pick up new skills where you sign up for something and then and then see it through to the end i think all these things eventually add up to be one of those cookies in your jar and then a higher percent when you're doing or want to do something new pick up a new skill you effectively go back to that cookie jar see all the things that you have done and that's why it's important for you to keep defining successes for yourself and keep building on those successes yeah and you can't also however rest on your past laurels you have to keep thinking about who i am today what am i doing today and not just what i've done in the past 100 i might help but you have to keep achieving new things because i think as human beings we all want to do more achieve more every day what do you think about being goal oriented versus being process oriented you think in the long run one of the strategies works a lot better than the other i mean all the questions have been excellent it could be different for different people for me i have always been goal oriented that's how i have measured successes as well Mm -hmm. and again someone might come and say that might not be the right way to look at things being through a process where you felt you gave everything is also success and i wouldn't necessarily disagree with that Personally, what I have found myself to be most motivated by is the goal itself. Mm -hmm. Like, this is what I want to achieve. 
the process in and of itself was never fulfilling for me. And in fact, I feel that if the process is too demanding or you feel the process is too difficult, then maybe you have to realign your goals. But process is never the thing that excites me the most. Eventually, it's the goal. And I would love to hear about you because how do you think about this? So the way I think about it is that if you're starting off, if you're an amateur in something, you need some goals. Let's call them micro goals. They are useful to give you some motivation. Right? They motivate you to try and get somewhere and you work towards that. But as you become maybe an expert in something, more than goals, you need systems and processes. That's when you go from being an amateur to being an expert go from potentially being a goal-oriented person to a systems and process-oriented person, go from being motivated to being driven. A goal-oriented person might be someone who might say that I have done the Ironman or I'm going to do the Ironman. But the systems-oriented person would say, I am a triathlete and I want to be the best triathlete that I can be. Right. That's, that's, that's a and good point. The systems-oriented or the process-oriented thing, I think, also starts then becoming more of an identity thing. Because that's when you start identifying yourself as a triathlete is when it's not just for one Ironman that you are running and swimming and cycling. That's just who you are are, and that's just what you do all the time. Mm -hmm. Anyone who has gotten to that level will always beat the guy who needs a goal to motivate. No, no I think that's a, that's a very, very good way to put it. I agree. So what's next? Do you want to do more triathlons? Physically, what are some of the challenges that you see yourself putting through in the future? And in general, in life, what are your biggest goals? What do you want to get to? Many, many things to unpack there. But right. going back to the first one. Yes, I definitely want to do the Ironman again. The best way to answer this is probably what you said earlier, which is that eventually from becoming a goal-oriented person to Mm -hmm. becoming a process-oriented person. And I think the the goal is to incorporate this in in your lifestyle as in eventually I want to stay healthy. If you stay healthy and in good shape, then, then it just makes a lot of things so much easier for you. I mean, simple things like in my job, I'm, I have to set 12 plus hours a day some days. If you're healthy, feeling good about yourself, you don't have backaches. So those kind of things. I think I just want to, I'm definitely going to do it again, but then to your point, become more process oriented and just make it a part of every day. Then uh, I think the biggest... You did sign up for Ironman, Zurich and COVID. Yes, but th- that's that's happened. unfortunate thing that happened. I mean, obviously, COVID has been difficult for everyone for much more important reasons than than mm-hmm. Iron Man. I did sign up for the one in Zurich before COVID. Then it was cancelled. It has been cancelled this year as well. I have not signed up yet for the one in 2022. Mm-hmm. But the goal will be to do so at some point in time this year. What yeah. about outside of? Yeah, to, to your question, the second part of the question, bigger goals. My, personally, the biggest goal has been to be my own boss sooner rather than later, having an independent thought process, having the having the confidence to do it. That again goes to the earlier discussion that we were having about the cookie jar. All these all these experiences of, of doing the best, building up on these wins, I think is eventually going to be are the dots in my mind that I think I'll be able to connect at the end. And obviously I think I would not be anywhere near where I am without support of people 
near me, around me, and, and to be honest with you, help and support from strangers sometimes. When I moved to the US, people, I, I didn't know anyone there, and I think there would be people who were total strangers to me, helped me a lot there. So eventually the goal is to do all those things, but then to also give back to the extent possible. No one gets there alone. We have a lot of help along the way. Um, so to the extent I can help anyone in any way, I'll be more than, more than happy to. What do you see yourself doing when you are your own boss? Eventually, I mean, when you're your own boss, I think I want to have a business. And again, what kind of business? I think it will be related to my current job. You build a lot of expertise when you're doing something over a period of time. And I think it goes to the point of being able to connect the dots. So I don't think it will be completely out of the left field. It will be related to all the things that I have, all the experiences I've accumulated so far. Having said that, eventually the goal will be to have your own business. If you're able to create jobs and, and differences in, in the lives of, say, 20 people, I think, I think that will be a win in my book. Last set of questions. What kind of connection and sense of responsibility do you feel towards India and Indians? When you see yourself being your own boss, and having your own business, do you see that back in India or wherever you are right now? Uh, again, I think a few things to unpack there. First thing about the connection back home, every single person from my family is back home. The only person who is living outside is me. In my parents' eyes, I would mean more to people back home if I was doing something there close to family, close to the people who I grew up with. There's always that sense of responsibility that maybe what they're saying makes sense. If there's anything we can give back, I think we should. At the end of the day, when I feel that I have accumulated enough experience to be able to give back, I would like to do that. And that's why I have no interest so far to become a citizen of any other country. I feel very strongly about it. I had opportunities before which I have declined uh, humbly because I think at some point in time, I would definitely want to go back and see how I can contribute. Uh, eventually, that's where I was born. That's my country. That's where my family is. And that's where I feel the strongest bond. In fact, when people ask me where is home, I, I say India. To your second point on whether the business will be here or there, I think we live in a more global world where my grandparents' generation at least who, who tell me that a business here is worth one-tenth of what it would be back home. But I think what they're missing is it's a global world now. Businesses can be anywhere. Eventually, the goal is to be successful where I would personally like to set it up is where I can maximize the chances for it to become successful. Would you be fine taking up a citizenship outside of India if India allowed dual citizenship? I feel strongly that a lot of Indians who have left the country, they would mm. happily take Indian citizenship along with whatever citizenship they have. And I think that would contribute so much more to the human capital that we have, that we are missing, that we could have back again. I think we should do it with at least a few countries doesn't make any sense to me why, for example, Indians living in the UK cannot hold dual citizenship. It seems like a big gap. Why can we not bring our people back? Well, Iron Man can. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's 20 minutes past midnight and I know you are not a night owl like me. This has been a really interesting conversation for me. I got to learn a lot about endurance and motivation and drive and test out some of my ideas with you in this conversation. I hope India allows dual citizenship soon, which allows you in turn to have a global business <laughs> and be your own boss, not only help people wherever the business is set up, but also help people back home. 
Absolutely. And, and, and I would like to thank you, Ish, as well. I think I'm taking some things away from this conversation as well. I think your point about process versus goal, I think I might steal that mm-hmm. <laughs> because I thought that was very elegantly put as to what it means. Feel free to. Thank you. <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. And thanks again for having me. Well, that's all for today. I hope you found Iron Man Khan's journey relatable. There are a lot of lessons to learn from it around setting and achieving goals, pushing oneself, getting over fears, becoming your best version and making the most of your life. If you like this episode, I would request you to share it with your friends. If you didn't, please reach out to me with your critical feedback on how we can make it better. Thank you for your time and have a great rest of the week.